It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advance B2B. It's your host here Edward Ford and joining us today on the show is Octave Auger, VP of Marketing and First Marketing Hire at Paddle which is a platform for software companies to run and grow their business. Now Paddle has been called the best kept secret in Europe and it's also the fastest growing software company in the UK. So I had a long chat with Octave to get a peek inside their business to figure out what they did and what we can learn from Paddle. Now, we go from marketing strategy and building a minimum viable brand all the way to customer acquisition tactics and demand gen initiatives, as well as pretty much everything in between. Now, in addition to that, we also hear about the role Ice Cream played in Paddle's journey to becoming the fastest growing software company in the UK. So make sure you stay tuned for that, as well as Octave, of course, taking on our Fast Five Challenge. So here we go with episode number 35 of the Growth of Podcast with Octave Auger, VP of Marketing at Paddle. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast. And it's my pleasure to welcome Octave Auger from Paddle, VP of Marketing. So Octave, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. Excited to be here. Yes, I have actually been looking forward to this episode. It's a funny story. Ever since I actually got stuck in a lift with the Paddle team at a Dublin hotel during Sastock last year, but I'm not actually sure, were you there at Sastock last year? I was there at Sastock last year. I don't think I was stuck in the lift. <laughs> I've been stuck in lifts before, but I don't think I was there. Yeah, there was, yeah, definitely Christian. Harrison and Bianca were definitely there. So shout out to them and, and the rest of the paddle team. But uh, enough about... This is where we do events. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, yeah, enough about Dublin lifts. And let's get into today's episode. And this is all about paddle and really a peek inside the UK's fastest growing software company. So let's set the scene. It's spring 2017. You just joined paddle. You're the first and founding member of the marketing function. So can you start off by describing the situation the company was in when you joined Paddle? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's funny that you mentioned that because I just realized that today was my two-year anniversary. So it's quite a fun way to reflect on all the stuff we've done. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, no, no it's very, very much a coincidence. Um, I think basically if I summarize where things were, we, when I came, we were about 25 people. Uh, but just for context, we're now 140. So I think it's very different size of which we were. Um, I think it was mostly really smart people that were all in their first role, very young. Uh, I mean, obviously you've met our two founders, they started Paddle when they were 18. So it was really interesting to see that team. Uh, none of them had ever worked with marketers. So it's, you know, for a tech company, there's always a, a lot of interesting stuff that happens in terms of like educating about what is marketing, why do you need it and so on. Um, we'd already been growing quite, quite fast. I mean, you know, for context, we've been tripling revenue every year with like 4,000 personal revenue growth in the last four years. And that was at the time mostly driven by outbound sales. So we'd been quite good at actually outreaching to companies purely via outbound uh, and targeting larger and larger companies. We had a really good like product market fit, uh, a sales playbook, uh, pretty much no churn, delighted customers, but we had never done any marketing whatsoever, right? The, the website was quite unclear. I mean, during the interview process, I wasn't completely sure what they did or who they were selling to. Uh, there was no online presence. I think one of our investors called us the best kept secret in Europe at some point, and we'd been going for like four or five years already. Um, so I think yeah, things were really exciting. There was a really good basis to start, and we had enough to do a lot with it, but there was pretty much everything to be done. Wow, that's amazing. And I think it's quite interesting as well to hear that you focused a lot on outbound at first. I think that's very rarely you would hear this uh, as, as a sort of go-to play. I think the... One of the things that appealed to me the, the most when, you know, talking about joining Paddle is was obviously there is, you know, the vision, the founders, all of this is very important, but also the fact that they've been able to convince a predominantly CTO, like technical founder, uh, you know, customer target by sending outbound emails, which is the hardest thing you can do. Like they basically managed to make it work. 
so I was like, there must be something that we must be able to really accelerate and do much more if we start adding, you know, marketing and better sales and so on on top of that. Yeah, exactly. And you spoke there about the fact that you came in and built the marketing function and scaled the team from scratch. So I'd love to know what were the first things that you did to actually establish and develop the marketing function at Paddle? Yeah, I think it's, it's funny. I look back, uh, you know, before this podcast about my initial, you know, uh, marketing plan, first week in marketing plan. And I think half of it, we did half of it. We basically flew out of a window within a couple of weeks. <laughs> so it's always fun to look back and how accurate these things can be. Uh, I think that we, you know, the first couple of months, there were three main areas to be focused on, I think, is one, understanding everything. There was a lot of foundational, foundational work that had never been done. Uh, then there was, you know, delivering value and like building actual, you know, growth-oriented marketing. And then the final bit would be like defining what we would call the, mini, the minimum viable branding. Uh, so I think in terms of the understanding part, it's, you know, who is the audience? Like listening to tons of sales calls, looking at, you know, really starting to spy on all these companies, whatever products, whatever teams in LinkedIn, do we go on Twitter or LinkedIn? Like it's basically because we'd been outbound driven, we were really, really good at selling on a one-on-one basis, so at convincing you individually that, you know, we understand your pains and we should, you should use us. But we didn't have any way to convince a larger audience when you have different personas, different types of companies. Uh, so I think that's somewhere marketing can really help is codifying, you know, condensing to the essence. Uh, and that was one of the main priorities for the start. Um, also just understanding the customers and the product, playing with the API, the dashboard, trying to understand how they were, you know, how the, our top 100 customers were using our product, our integrations, uh, and all of that, and really going into the details and sitting down with like, you know, technical account managers and the like to understand like the exact things, because as we're selling to, developers and you know back in the day it was very important to understand this detail and i think finally it was understanding what the rest of the business needed as i said like no one had ever worked with marketing so they had interesting ideas about what marketing could do some was you know too small some was way too big uh, so it was you know going around talking to everyone seeing what actually they were struggling with where marketing could help one thing we identified very quickly, for example, is that we were about to hire a lot more people. I mean, you know, last year we hired 100 people in, in, you know, from 30 to 130. So we had to basically really kickstart employer branding and looking at how we could be more visible. Uh, and that was a thing that was quite instrumental in showing everyone what marketing could do because employer branding was, employer marketing was a very simplified way of doing marketing compared to, you know, customer, uh, customer branding. And I think typically what the question most people ask me is like, you know, what order do you do things? And to me, it's always about starting from the bottom of the funnel. So, you know, you start with like existing sellers, then you look at opportunities, then you look at leads. And so you, you move upwards as opposed to doing the other side. Uh, I think for three main reasons is like you can deliver the most value quickly to a business, as in you're actually like making an impact where there is money at play. When, you know, existing customers, people who are already giving you revenue, so you can increase that. Opportunities, they're almost closing. You can really push them, you know, over the line. And leads is a bit further line. It takes a bit longer. You can also understand, like, you know, who are your advocates? Uh, what do they actually think? Uh, you can, so you can build a much better marketing by understanding who loves you and try to find more people like them as opposed to just trying to find more customers in general. Um, and then you avoid, like, the leaky bucket syndrome where you're just pouring money at the top and then nothing is optimized and nothing is actually ending up in, uh, you know, as a customer. Uh, and more, more practically, more tangibly, the, what it meant was delivering content and case studies to help success and sales. So really starting, you know, articles that showcase our expertise, showcase, like, the kind of insight we have that's things that sales need to prove when they are actually talking to a customer. It's a good way to re-engage a dormant account. It's a good way to actually say, oh, we're adding value on top of our tech platform. Uh, and case studies was, you know, something we've never done because it's a marketing thing. And we're saying to developers, they don't like marketing, but actually they really want to know that other companies like them are using us to solve problems that they have. So it's like figuring out which one we could do and building that up. Uh, rebooting the website, as I said in the beginning, it's, you know, it wasn't very good. Uh, from a marketing standpoint, we were just throwing a lot of things on the page. It's, you know, it wasn't very clear. It looked like we were selling 
much more than we were actually had, you know, in terms of focus. And we were selling to much more companies that we were actually targeting. So we had to really recreate that to tell a bit more of a story around like why we existed, what we could do, who could actually use us, solutions and so on. Introducing the concept of asking for a demo compared to just signing up. You know, I wanted to, to sell uh, and so on. I think one of the first value added was also just starting a bit of product marketing and you know creating like product updates. How do we communicate when we've released something new? How do we communicate when we've messed up? You know, there's been a bug uh, because of like what we do. Uh, we are. It's quite important that we are reliable. So when something goes wrong, we need to actually communicate nicely. Uh, and finally, looking at how we could prove that we actually existed. As I, as I mentioned, you know, no one's ever heard of us apart from in these discussions. So. If you're any larger company, it starts to be very suspicious when you can't find a trace of that company online. <laughs> so we had to basically, we started working like G2 Cloud, for example, to create like reviews uh, using our advocates and like all our sellers to say, can you please review who, what we actually do for you and how happy you are on G2 Cloud, uh, as well as you know, starting some PR to get more articles about us, You're catching up with like lost time in a way. And, and lastly, I think I talked about the minimum viable brand uh, which is a term I like to use, which is basically we don't want to be going all branding right away, but we need to have some sense of like what's the personality of the brand, what's you know, what's the vision, what the tone of voice we should have, because the main issue I have when coming into a, you know, a company that doesn't know much about marketing is that you you have a risk of going with does this design look pretty or does this content sound nice? which is the wrong way of looking at it, I think, is more about does it look or sound like Paddle? Is it us? Uh, so it's a lot less you know, sentimental and a lot more like, rational when you get feedback about that. So it was like really getting the founders in a workshop all afternoon, extracting you know, the personality, what type of brands did they think we were most like and why, what kind of like attributes did they think our sellers would say if they talked about us, and so on and so on. Yeah, this is super good. Like so many great things to unpack there. I think a couple of things I could pick out. So starting from the bottom and working upwards totally makes sense. I think often marketers can fall into the trap of starting at the other end. Like, oh yeah, we need to acquire more traffic to the website. And then when you have people on the website, okay, we need to convert them and then push them down the funnel. Now, okay, we'd need more bottom of funnel content marketing and so forth. But if you start the other way and work back to the top, you know that when you bring people into the site, there's already that converting funnel in place. So, so super interesting to hear about that. And also the fact yeah. that half of what you actually planned, you, you ended up doing the other half you didn't. And I think the idea of the minimum viable brand is, is super interesting. Never heard of that before. So this was like a super good overview to, to how you set up that function. But can you talk more specifically about that original marketing strategy? So what did you plan and, and how did you actually execute marketing? Yeah, sure. So I think just to give a bit of context about, you know, our business, we, we basically collect a percentage of your revenue based on the transaction that you process via our platform. So like we are, you know, an all-in-one subscription and commerce platform. So we process a lot of, you know, transactions, uh, recurring transactions and so on. So that means that that plus the fact that our customers typically need to do an integration, could take a couple of hours, couple of days, couple of weeks, means that we don't really have a free trial or like, you know, product qualified leads, uh, but actually a model where pretty much all leads that are meaningful to us, whether they're inbound, outbound, you know, events, whatever, they're gonna go through sales. So we, we don't really tend to look at how people are using our product and then you know, at, you know, upsetting them from there. We give them the whole platform from the get-go because the more money they make, as we take a percentage, the more money we make. And we're basically all about convincing them to actually use us in the beginning. So this means that while we had a very much demand-gen model, from the, from the get-go, focusing on like finding leads and sending them to sales and helping sales, you know, uh, better convert these leads. As well as because we take a percentage and we do quite a lot for our customers, we're actually able to do what call like enterprise level of marketing and, and sales for mid-market customers and mid-market level of marketing and sales for SME customers and still have a good CAC payback in a way. So that's quite interesting because we can do a lot more of customized things and be thinking a lot more about account-based marketing, for example, compared to other companies that would be selling a you know thousand dollars a month product, two hundred dollars a month product, and so on. So that's just to give a bit of context, <laughs> because that's usually helpful to explain why we did what we did. 
the first, the first thing we did is like when people ask me, oh, what's your marketing strategy? It's actually what's your business strategy? Uh, firstly, I don't believe that there is such a thing as an independent marketing strategy in SaaS. It's so close to everything else that it needs to be super linked. So what I think as part of raising Series B, we realized that we needed to have something a bit more on paper about the go-to-market. You know, the first few months when I joined, we also had a, a head of product that I joined at about the same time. So basically, head of sales, head of products, and myself sat down and really like worked on like who are these segments we care about. Uh, we had a very rough, you know, uh, attack plan at the time around what the sell the customer, what the platform, and so on, based on like what we had analyzed. And this was really the critical alignment where we were all, you know, going to focus on what happened to be two main segments, uh, and the marketing, sales, and product strategy were all combined to go on executing this. Um, I think if I give a bit more details about the two segments, we had one which was, you know, we were quite known. It was the segment we started with initially, so people knew about us, but they typically had like an obsolete vision of who we were about two years ago. So they knew, we like, oh, you probably deal with like very small companies. You're a team of 10, when we are already outgrown that for quite a while. Uh, we had a lot more features and so on. They knew about the kind of like company we were because they were using competitors that were similar to us in approach, but with a much more legacy technology built in the 90s or so on. And yeah, they typically were like, you know, developers taking decisions more for sentimental reasons sometimes and business reasons than really focusing on growing the business a lot, but also just having a nice independent business and, you know, having fun building that product. And I think one thing that was key for our marketing strategy is that because what we do is quite central to the business, as you know, that's basically the platform upon which you're running your SaaS business, the, you don't change to a platform like us just because you really, really dislike your current provider. You typically need when to have like a burning platform, it's basically you need a reason to jump into something else, what we call like triggers internally we need to identify these triggers because that's the moment when we should be apparent. We don't need to be you know, visible to everyone all the time. We just need to really be visible when people are going through one of its moments where we could be considered. And for outbound, it's very hard because they, these triggers are not very easily identifiable, right? You can say, what's the, what the ICP? I want this company with that size, this decision maker, and so on, but you don't know what they're actually going through. Uh, in their life. So outbound is a bit of a perseverance game and inbound was basically all focused on identifying and seizing these moments. So practically for that segment, we, we had a branding, you know, like obsolescence issue where people didn't know who we are right now, they thought of who we are before. So we attended some key events there, maximizing brand awareness. So for example, there was one major event where the whole, you know, industry was going in the US. During a whole week, we had a specific place we basically had an ice cream truck sponsored, you know, all padified with some of our best customers as ice cream flavors. And we were going around following where people were going at parties and so on. So that we kept seeing our brand everywhere and put, oh, who are these people? I need to actually talk to them again. Because they were developers, we focused positioning much more like use cases than, you know, case studies, for example. Showcases what other people had built with us, like the recipes, you know, spending a lot of time on saying, Oh, you want to be doing this specific customer flow? You can do that this way. This is the code example. This is how others have done it. This is how you can do it. And these are the key questions to take into consideration, which was really driving the, you know, the comparison, the difference with our legacy competition. Uh, Acquisition-wise, it was all said about trigger-based content. For example, when you launch a new version of your product or a new product in that segment, it's, you know, you're likely to want to find a new platform to power the, you know, like commercial things like the bidding and so on. That's a good time for us. We built a guide on how to do it from bidding to pricing optimization to launching it with like lots of examples of how our customers have been doing it uh, and then building a lot of campaigns around it, you know, that complementing paid ads and SEO and the like, as well as working together with sales on outbound to use that guide as a good way to figure out who was going through the trigger in our dormant pipeline or reactivate both and say, oh, actually, yes, I am launching a new product. I sh that's a great device. Can I get something a bit more specific? In other words, I think marketing as the template, the generalization of the story and sales of success as the 
customization part, the human part that's going to tailor that specific advice to you. And finally, yes, being part of a community, like we, we did a panel with some of the key, uh, key uh, founders in the space about specific trigger, uh, sponsoring podcasts, pushing for referrals, uh, all of that. Yeah, this is great. I think that quote that you mentioned, there's no such thing as a marketing strategy, only a business strategy is super, super on point. And I think another super important challenge and objective for marketers is actually being able to identify those triggers. Like you said, that when people are searching for a solution or they've gone through that specific trigger that your product is the solution for, you need to make sure you're found. And I think this is where things like customer research become so vital because that's where you find out those triggers. And I think discussing with your sales team who will be discussing with customers, they'll, they'll have that insight as well. So that information is available. You just need to go and find it. And I think, you know, this was the strategy part. So I'd love to know what were then some of your goals in marketing and how did you actually measure success in the marketing team at Paddle? Yeah, I think that's something that changes a lot uh, over time. So I think, the, you know, two years ago and now it's very different. And I think it's both linked on like the maturity of the marketing function, how sophisticated we get, how large we get. So, you know, back in the day I was one person, now we're a dozen people. So things have changed quite a bit, as well as in the company, like how much more mature and wider, larger we are as a company. Again, 30 people, 140, quite different. So initially, I think the first couple of months, uh, when it was just myself, it was very project-driven, creative, you know, let's relaunch the website by X date, let's create X number of case studies. Uh, all of this was changing within a couple of weeks. You know, you don't have a specific goal in a way. It was more what's the vision for where we need to be in the next three to six months and then figure out how we can get there. But then, like after the first couple of months, I think there are like three areas of goals that evolve over time. The first one would be like you want to generate inbound pipeline predictably and ideally profitably. Uh, number two would be you want to not only generate inbound pipelines, so you know, find new leads thanks to marketing at all, but also really help the whole pipeline, the whole go-to-market uh, by enablement. And finally, it's building a strong brand, which becomes more and more important over time uh, as, you, as you grow. Uh, so I think for generating the inbound pipeline, the, initially we were looking at what called SQL velocity, so like your self-qualified leads. We use self-qualified lead because that's a good way for someone outside of marketing to be you know, a, you know, in charge of validating that the leads we send are actually good. So you should just look at marketing qualified leads. That's something we control, so it's quite easy to you know, fake in a way. So you want someone else to be keeping you in check. Uh, and velocity meaning X percent more leads per quarter. But now, because we have a much better understanding of you know, the customer journey and how long it takes to do what, it's much more about what's the revenue target, the, the, the net new revenue we need in six months, and working back from that to say, okay, what does it mean in terms of like, activities and you know, leads generated uh, now? We, we also looked a lot more number of leads initially. Now it's a lot more about the size of the pipeline and look how many millions of dollars of revenue do you generate as opposed to yeah you send lots of leads but are they actually big are they small are they good are they bad uh, so there's a lot more of a qualitative aspect to it um, and we still quite lose a thing on you know customer acquisition cost not in a way that we don't control cost but we don't set specific targets around it because it's more important for us to figure out what's going to scale and test and experiment Keeping, you know, keeping things in check as opposed to being really focused on cost optimization uh, versus growth. Uh, so that's something we are getting much better at, but it's still not the primary focus. It's still growth compared to optimization. Uh, around helping the whole pipeline, which is something where a lot more like product marketing, for example, comes in. Initially, it was very effort-driven, like you know, create X number of collaterals, decks, case studies, and so on because it's quite hard to measure the impact of this. Uh, you know, if, if you have a deck, was it the thing that actually made the decision or was it actually the salesmanship of the person in charge? Now we're much smarter because we've got a much better, you know, understanding on like historical data about the different stages of the funnel. So we can look at, uh, you know, getting smaller projects where you have marketing and sales people working together on one specific API we need to improve and looking at, conversion rate from one stage to the other, like how do we get people from 
uh, you know, uh, a lead in conversation to an opportunity created, to an opportunity won, to an opportunity live, and so on. And as well as the stage velocity, like how long do people stay in the stage? That's a good way for different teams to work together on the customer journey as opposed to having sales and marketing doing their own thing in parallel. You want to get them, you know, unified goals where they need to work on email cadences and sales tooling and training. Like, do we have the right messaging? Do we do, how do we do objection handling? Do we have enough material to prove that? We need, you know, this and that. So that's a good way to do it better. And finally, yeah, building a strong brand. So that's something that's always very hard to measure. I think it's the, the, the most difficult thing to measure for any marketer, in my, in my opinion, is you know, what's, what's the impact of your brand? How, how, how do you do that? So initially, there was no real target. It was more of a, I would say, a basket of you know, KPIs we measured. So like, what's the organic traffic for the brand name? Uh, how many articles are published online? Uh, how many online mentions about you, and so on and so on. Uh, and now we are trying out something a bit more specific where, you know, we've got like a, a hit list of a couple of thousand of companies where we're like, okay, these are really, really good fit for us. We absolutely want to, we think we should all be using Cloudroom in the future. And we're basically tracking the penetration of our marketing into these companies. So how many of these companies have someone there that's attended one of our events or been to one of our webinars or sign up to our newsletter or actually engage with it in any way as a much better proxy for how is our brand growing there. It's I think a much more practical way for a startup our size to do that compared to having a big, you know, external campaign where we asked such companies, are you aware of Paddle? Have you used Paddle? What do you think of it? And so on. Yeah, this is great. And I think you've touched on some really big challenges that all marketing teams face in terms of measuring success. And, and like you said, brand is so hard to measure. So great to hear how you did it. I think there's a, a lot of super, super valuable takeaways there for, for everyone listening. And you, you've spoken about all the different things that you had to balance between when developing the marketing team. And again, another challenge all marketing teams face is that you have things like growth and inbound, you have content, demand gen, branding, communications, positioning, there's product marketing, sales enablement. So there's so many things for marketers to work on from strategy to operations. So how did you actually prioritize your objectives, initiatives, and focus? Yeah, and that's actually a good question. I think we, we, we definitely made mistakes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, for a, I think the, the biggest difficulty there, but even when you've done it before, you don't anticipate everything. You're, you know, you're, you're taken in the, in the speed of growth. Like we, you know, last year, we, one of the most visible signs of our growth, apart from revenue, was the fact that we hired so many people. You know, we basically multiplied by four the number of people in our company over a year. And that we didn't really like, manage the hiring thing between teams perfectly. So for example, at some point, because product was really good at hiring people at some point, and we, were, we struggled a bit more, Product team just got seven people, and my product marketing managers were starting three months later. Uh, so that was a bit of an issue where I, I spent time, you know, putting eight hour, eighty hour weeks for a while, just trying to, you know, still deliver what was needed. But basically, we should have, we should have made a bit more effort hiring these people before and making sure that was the case. Um, so that's, that's just to say because I, I keep hearing this podcast where everything is rosy. Actually, it's not most. Most of the stuff is actually really difficult and painful. We, we mess up a lot, but we just try to learn. So currently, what I use is basically a very, I would say, very simple framework, but I think fine works best for all parts of my team. So we have you know, a, a growth marketing team focusing on like demand gen on like revenue generation. We have a product marketing team focusing on like describing what is paddle and empowering everyone else when it comes to talking about us from marketing to success and so on. Um, we have a creative team, which is about making it memorable in a way. And when we have an events team, which is about representing, you know, the, the whole personal part about being at events, having the logistics and doing all of these other things physically. Uh, and this framework is basically three parts. Like one is we, we put, you know, for each of the team, we put different weights like over the quarters on different parts of that, this 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 depending on what's most important. So one is growth, uh, because I think no matter what part of marketing you're in, you should always contribute to growth. It's quite important. So if you're a designer, for example, it's it could be like, how do I deliver growth? But actually, 
how do you make sure that the campaigns have all the assets they need? But sustainable is important that we spend the time really crafting nice decks and doing that, as opposed to doing things that are really pretty but don't really contribute to growth, making sure that's quite there. Uh, the second one, which is a bit of a grandiose title of like building the growth engine, which is much more about understanding everything to do with like the customer journey and the relationship between all the actions we make and the results we get. Uh, that could be for, for building personas and doing customer development and analyzing the impact of social media and profitability of a campaign. But that's typically helping us grow faster. So if we don't understand why we grow, are we actually growing? It's typically really, really hard to scale when you don't know why you're growing. It's very hard. You realize that you've been sending really bad leads and you have, you know, it's really going to be a slowdown of growth or you things you should have done early on have not been done and so on. And the last thing is support, which is basically as a marketing function, we have, we have a big like, support role for the rest of the business. We, people need things from us, but that's typically things that we don't drive, that's they, they are driving. Uh, that could be from putting the logo for internal workshop, we need to write a guide for new joiners about the cultural panel, all of these things. And I think that's where we need to be very careful because we can very quickly be devoured by all of these things over expect from us. We can't actually deliver the growth and the understanding of our growth, that is key. So we, we have that, so everything is in free buckets for all teams and we agree on like how much they need to do what. And then how we feel it, which is like how we actually balance priorities, it's depending on how much of a delay there is, I think, between what we do and the result. So for example, some things take a very long time but have a really big like lever effect. Uh, a strong brand is one, for example. It's not built overnight, but when it works, it works, right? You, it's really powerful. And really good product marketing with like a great story, a very differentiated positioning that really resonates with customers. It's another one. It takes time and you need to really invest in it, but it's important. So where, where we set priorities on how we prioritize it in a way is to say, okay, what's going to be very important the next six to 12 months? And that's typically where, we, where I go to find my marketing battles because other teams don't really know it's important. So we need to say that's going to be something we need to focus on. If we, that, we, we need to attract the attention of the importance of that because that's going to be things that we're going to regret not doing. So that's where you know, prioritizing it is to say, okay, if at our stage, we know that we're going to need that in four, five, six, 12 months, we should probably do that now. We should prioritize that because that's going to be something that's going to be really impactful. Otherwise, we're going to be in deep trouble. On the other end, you have things like growth, which is tends to be like lots of short-term stuff. You know, like short campaigns, it's more of a couple of weeks kind of rhythm. You can do sprints and the like. But the other key thing is momentum. Like you can never stop growing. You can never take a rest. You can never just let the channels grow themselves because you end up plateauing, right? There is, you had a, a way to scale that work, but it's not very scalable. So actually, you need to find new ways. Or you have something that other people have not picked up and now it's getting a lot more expensive and you can't really do it as well as you did. So typically the way we balance it is to say, okay, what needs to be happening now based on you know, my experience, what our, our board would tell us that they know we need our, our after scale and so on. And what you know, I see in terms of like momentum and getting results now. Yeah, this is great. And you spoke there about the growth and demand gen teams that are driving revenue, even though, of course, all teams are contributing to growth. But let's dig a little deeper here in this particular aspect. So in terms of growth and demand gen, so what was your acquisition plan? Like, how did you acquire new customers? And what were some of the most impactful demand gen tactics and initiatives for you at Paddle? Yeah, and I think I've already touched, you know, a little bit on that before. But we, as I mentioned, we are, we are very trigger based, right? We we, everything about our creation plans was around these triggers because, as I said, on the outbound side, it's a persistent game. You don't know when there are these triggers. You can try to guess, but you keep trying. So it's our role on the inbound and acquisition side to make sure that we're there when we go through that moment. And I think to give a couple of examples of like practical things we did, um, we, we basically built up content that combined I would say like, you know, pillar pages around which everything is built. So for example, you would have like one of our most popular um, content offer is around uh, launching into new markets. 
like you know, you're launching internationally, you're launching into new audiences. How do you do that? How do you figure out the pricing, the marketing, the you know how to how to do your your, your go to market into that? Um, so the way we did was basically making sure that there was a central place where we have everything around that. So we we're gonna have probably a gated piece, which is like a longer guide, which is very in depth with like a lot of actionable lessons typically coming from our data or insights with like dealing with like a thousand software companies over the years and a lot of what these customers or the companies have brought in as well as a lot of combination of like short term short short form uh, blog posts long form uh, all of it is basically interlinking so that you're going to find your way somewhere and then you're going to keep reading it's like we measure things like bounce rate um you know time to read and we basically make sure that no matter where you are, there's always a next action you're going to take. For example, you, depending on what the kind of content, we're going to either want you to go to the next content. So we typically build series of pages that are linked to each other. You start somewhere, you keep reading. There's always a call to action to drive you a bit further down the channel, the funnel. So if you're at the top, if it's something very, very generic, you're probably going to want to push for a newsletter sign-up, for example. If you're much more done, you're gonna, gonna be pushing for a demo request. Uh, and we, we've done a lot of things around SEO for that. So this is a long-term return, but we basically built up using that form where you know, we have the core keywords are very strong because we've really been building these pillar pages where everything sits and everything is interlinked. So it looks like a very strong domain expertise and we, are working with our companies to, you know, when we write content, we then rewrite some of that content and post it somewhere else as a companion piece to the content. So this could be something we deal with our PR team where they're going to be pushing some of our best content and repurposing it for, uh, you know, a publication online. It's also going to be working with other companies where we're going to be publishing on their blog. We're going to be pointing back to that content. And this way we have a really good uh, you know, SEO optimization over time and traffic. On top of that, we also do, you know, Google Ads and generically paid ads uh, on searches that relate to these triggers. So we have typically a combination of like a solution pitch where we basically say, oh, we have a great solution for this. We really help you explain internationally, for example. And we also have some related content offer. Uh, a guide, a blog post, something like that, something that shows that we have expertise in case you were not in the mood to buy just yet. So, but either way, we get your email. And then it's a lot of work in, you know, optimizing the balance between the two, understanding who is actually coming and, you know, what traffic is working or not. So it's like paid traffic, organic traffic. There's a lot of like micro-optimization. What you don't want to end up is having, oh, I got a lot of downloads of my ebook or I got a lot of traffic. But actually none of them is becoming a search qualified lead. They're all pretty small leads or bad leads or like random people. That's not ideal. So you want to connect that to Salesforce basically. Uh, and lastly, I think what we did is also we we use, I think that's somewhere, something where we're getting much better now, like doing a much bigger push on that is using like social networks, especially Twitter and LinkedIn for our audiences to, have a combination of like paid and organic push. So we typically try things like spending a bit of money on pushing a piece of content and then seeing if that's going to trigger more of an organic growth, uh, as well as accelerating learnings by seeing if a new type of content or thing we do is working, sending a bit of paid traffic and then saying, okay, if no one cared, if it didn't work, you know, it's probably not worth doing more of that. It's much faster to learn that than actually just with, you know, waiting for SEO to build up. Uh, so there we basically build up audiences and that's where we do a lot of work with between product marketing and growth and sales and success and so on to really fine tune the personas and the audiences and try to look at like where are they, what can we push, uh, doing, you know, retargeting as well to figure out a bit more where they are and so on uh, until we have audiences where we know that if we target them, it's going to be close enough to be able to make a good ROI compared to just being you know, a bunch of like everyone that works in software and it's quite hard to figure out which ones are good. Uh, so that's where there's always a lot of day-to-day or week-to-week optimization, trying different things, putting them into seeing which one performs better, understanding 
the rhythm, the communities, and you know, keeping experimenting. Yeah, this is great, and it's awesome to hear about the uh, playbook that you had at Paddle in terms of marketing. And you spoke earlier about how your goals evolved over time. So coming back to the marketing strategy that you also spoke about earlier, how did that actually change then over time as the business grew and the team expanded? Yeah, and I, I think it's, there are three main areas. I think where it's, it's changed, um, it's number one would be we've gotten a lot better understanding like the customer journey, the ideal customer. So the strategy has become a lot more specific. You know, we, across all teams, we've become much better at focusing on the right customers and that's really improved on that side. So it's quite hard to pinpoint a specific change in strategy, but it's more that we are ever, you know, ever more focused in a way on what actually work. And we as a company are much better at saying and actually picking our customers. I think we talked about that a bit before at how important it is to actually, you know, focus. But the, I think that the, one of the biggest errors people can make is not actually selecting the customers they care about. Just saying yes to everyone, it's quite difficult because then, you know, on the product side, you end up not knowing who you're building for. On the marketing side, it's very hard to have a cohesive story of positioning that works for everyone. You end up being very bland because you're just going too wide. Uh, and it's something that in sales you always want to do. You always want to close every single deal, but you have to restrict yourself. So I think over time, we've gotten much better at saying these are the customers we really want to focus on because if we get better at serving them, then we're going to close a lot more of them. It's going to become so easy to go there. They're going to be self-selecting. There's going to be much more velocity in the, in the, in the funnel because they're really getting it as opposed to, sell, to selling to everyone, but really struggling to convince anyone. Uh, so I think that's where one of the big areas where that strategy has changed is really always focusing on getting you know, more and more like intimate with some customers as opposed to trying to just be wider all the time. Thing number two is you have channels that start working and then you get more sophisticated. You know, in the beginning, you do a bit of everything. You've got some gut feelings, some assumptions, but gut feelings and assumptions in marketing and growth is very dangerous. That's why I said we threw 50% away of the plan because you realize after digging it, that's not actually going to work. That's not something that the customers are doing, so let's not do that. Um, you, you, know, you, you start identifying a lot better what doesn't work and you stop that. And I think there the, the, the big issue we have as marketers in general is that it's quite easy to identify, identify what's not working as long as you just look at data. But typically, people can become a bit emotional, right? They're nostalgic, they've been working on it, they love it, it's quite sexy, and so on and so on. So it's quite hard to just say, oh, let's stop doing that. That's not working. And you have a risk of like wasting time doing that. So there is a lot of like, I would say change management, but basically just getting people used to the idea that we're not focusing on building like great marketing as much as we're focusing on building like a great experience for customers, added value and so on, making sure that's working uh, and combining the two. Uh, but yeah, it's, that's the thing where you, you start evolving. You, you, lots of things you've done, you don't do anymore. Lots of lessons you've learned, they're not really valid anymore. So you need to like throw away part of a playbook just because you're no longer doing what you used to do a year ago. For example. And it's, especially in fast-growing startups, it's even more intense. I mean, basically, when we do this quarter, maybe we won't be doing next quarter. There's no point in being nostalgic. It's just a way of like changing over time. I'm getting people, but I actually can do that. Um, and I think finally, the the more exciting part, I think, to be on a, on a good note is you become like a lot more ambitious because you, you've grown the team. You get actually people that are more experienced or, you know, before, before Paddle, actually they've grown at Paddle or they can start driving like bigger projects, you know, where you can really delve into it and spend time nailing it. And there's things around like positioning, really spending time crafting something that's really good as opposed to something that's good enough branding doing something that's actually very unique as opposed to copying what you know drift is doing or intercom is doing or what someone else is doing like coming up with your own things as you grow in experience and in understanding everything uh, complex you know commercial tuning where you basically connect all of the solutions you have and you have HubSpot and intercom and 
Zendesk, um, Salesforce, um, Unbounce, all of these things, and it's all floating around. You actually connect all of that. You start leveraging the data. You start doing much more smart things because you have teams that have grown. So that's something where the strategy starts to change a lot as well because suddenly, instead of saying we're going to improve everything, you say we're going to improve things but make a big impact. And then we're going to be much smarter at analyzing and seeing very fast what's working or not. And then we can do things by having really great tuning across teams where teams can start working much more together, where you can actually have marketing and sales working aligned because there is this like glue in the middle that's been figured out and where data is communicating, where HubSpot and Salesforce are talking well, where we can have a good clarity about what's going on. Yeah, this is great. And yeah, this is of course where a tool like Supermetrics comes in very handy when you want to pull all your marketing data into one oh, really? place. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, I, I need to test it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, but this is super great. And I think, you know, one really good quote uh, there was about, you know, are we creating great marketing or a great customer experience? So really thinking that what you're creating as a marketing team, don't look at it from an internal perspective, but think about, you know, the, every single person is going to interact with this. Is it going to improve that experience or, or negate it? And that's, I think that's a great way of looking at what we're doing in terms of marketing. And you've spoken about some of the challenges you had uh, already during this episode. And sometimes on podcasts, everyone talks about the, the great successes and, and paints a rosy picture but it's never that easy. And I think that the best place to learn is from challenges that you had and problems that you solved. So if you had to pick like one or two of the biggest challenges that you faced at Paddle, uh, what would they be and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, this is the part where I could talk for hours because the, there is a seemingly unlimited number of challenges on pain problems. And so <laughs> and that's, the fun, that's actually the fun of being in a, in a startup as opposed to, in a, you know, in more established business is that even though you've been working at it for years and years, you still see new stuff all the time. So I think, you know, basically everything is always on fire, but some fires are more likely to kill you. So if, if I would pick one, I think it's the like broken processes on data and alignment between like the different parts of the commercial team in a way, like sales, success, marketing, where that's been quite difficult. Uh, just because it's not it's not trivial, uh, there is no like simple solution to that. We had things where basically flaws and processes were tailored to how each team worked, not really the customer journey. So you 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 end up having we're doing things because that's easy for marketing or sales or success to do it that way, as opposed to thinking, okay, what's the customer going through? What are the touch points that can influence that journey? How do we think customer centric compared to internal centric it's always easier to think about what would make marketing's life easier as opposed to what would make the customer's life better um, and that's typically happen when again we we scale the team so fast that we had basically all team doubling tripling size every couple of months and that made it much harder to actually do that the tools not communicate communicating well right you have just to take salesforce and hubspot there is a lot of custom logic going on between uh, between the two and then you want to plug more stuff on top of that so we had like quite fluid definitions you know like what is a sales qualified lead exactly attribute attribution is a mess you have a lot of like processes that keep changing teams that are restructured new people coming in uh, because we're hiring so much uh, all of that makes means that you're always in a you know you're always fixing stuff and building up on it uh, so things we did for to make that better because as I said, like I believe it's all about the customer journey, not the, not the different teams. So we, we introduced like a central platform. We, we use um, something called Hull.io that's basically centralizing all of that data logic and it's acting as a platform between the different systems. So we can build all of that automation in that platform and really start scaling things without having all of these, oh, things are broken again. And we had things like, oh, no demo request is coming up because this broke overnight and we didn't have any alerts in Slack and so on. So fixing that is very important. So to have like trust in the system and be able to scale it. We used to have, I think what I call functional ops where you had, you know, like sales ops reporting to sales and success ops reporting to success and so on, um, which was an issue because then you end up having an, an, like a central ops that did, you know, service everything else. So you had issues around independence, like focusing on the right thing for Paddle compared to what each team wanted. 
uh, working together, having the right context and so on. So we moved to like an independent commercial ops team that's basically under one of the co-founders and looking after the entire customer journey. That's their goal is to basically say, what's, how do we you know, drive growth at panel in general and do what's better for the customer and have this holistic view of the whole thing as opposed to every single team. And that's allowed us to have a much better you know, understanding of what's going on and a much better way of prioritizing where we can make an impact. Again, if I come to you with my marketing hat, I'm going to be thinking about this and that because that's the key thing I'm thinking about marketing-wise. I'm going to say, okay, we need to improve that sales of the funnel. But maybe that's not the thing that's going to make paddle grow the fastest this quarter. So having a centralized independent function there means that you don't have any conflict about you know, politics or data. It's quite independent, and you can really focus on the most important thing. Uh, and I think, as I mentioned before, what we started doing as well is have basically sales and marketing, for example, such as marketing, work together on improving certain parts of the funnel, as opposed to thinking, oh, you know, sales, basically you have marketing driving leads, then sales closing leads, and then success servicing the leads. That's not really how it works. Everything is quite intertwined. Uh, so it's more about, as I said, the customer journey. So instead of having to claim ownership of a stage of a funnel, we are basically trying to find ways where we can work together on improving these stages. And that's a way where instead of having broken processes, or broken data, broken tooling, and so on, you have something way more unified where you don't have, you know, like sales and marketing and success fighting for different goals because this person is differently. You just focus on like one unified goal and then you figure out how different things can work together on like person. But it's still, I would say, very much work in progress. <laughs> I don't think it ever stopped being a challenge. Uh, and I think everyone I've talked to has always had that challenge. How do you get different teams to work together effectively for the greater good of a company? Is no matter how much you have people that are great at collaboration, are very open-minded, are not political, are not that, as soon as you have different teams, it's always you know harder to keep all of that in track. Yeah, absolutely. This was great. And, you know, you've achieved massive success at Paddle, not just in the marketing team, but collectively as, as a company, of course, and some amazing growth that you've achieved. So just quickly before we move into the, the final part of the interview and, and we take on our Fast Five Challenge, what would you say were then some of the best moves that you made in marketing looking back now? Yeah, that's interesting because if you had asked me the question, what do you think are going to be the biggest, the best moves you've made on? I would probably not have said the same. It's always interesting what you learn after you've done it. Um, so just to take a couple of examples across different parts of marketing, I think one thing we, the best move we did, one of the best moves we did was basically banking on the founder story like uh, of, our, of our co-founders developing their personal brands as well. So basically the fact that they founded Paddle when they were 18 never going to uni, found it there, grew it to, you know, like hundreds of people are really successful has been something that was actually a really good way for us to develop, you know, like press interest to be able to start, you know, getting, we have a, uh, our CEO is a contributor of Forbes. We're getting invited quite a lot to events um, to tell not only that story, but also the insights about scaling something like that. Uh, and that's basically free branding space to do storytelling to tell the way we want it about something that you know is much more interesting than just talking about what we're doing as a business the product we're building and so on um i think another one which has become more apparent in the last couple of months really is you know going big on product marketing being very ambitious with like what that could be doing not just doing product updates or like doing things but actually really like figuring out how we talk about us Paddle, like how we make sure that we have a much more ambitious approach to storytelling, um, you know, fixing all of the internal alignment difficulties, like how we explain things, empowering everyone to talk about us in a common story, in a common way. Uh, like it's basically giving lots of benefits beyond marketing because they have a time to really delve into the depth of our platform. We do a lot of different things, so it's quite, it can be quite complex to apprehend. And you don't want to be too specific, otherwise no one gets it. You want to have something which is just the right level of simplicity uh, for everyone to be able to then like expand on. Uh, so going for 
two people compared to one going for like more senior and experienced people compared to more junior was definitely a really good investment. Uh, I would regret that if I had not done it. Um, Growth-wise, I think, you know, investing in content and longer form guides early on. Uh, I mentioned that, but basically it takes time. It's writing good content or whether it's like writing or doing a podcast or doing video, I'm sure you know. It's, it's quite a lot of work, but it pays off over time. So we're still capitalizing on SEO traffic, like evergreen leads coming from some of our best guys and so on. But that's like free growth, basically. So it's quite happy to have done that. It's also really helping understand better what customers care about because we can see what they actually directly. Uh, and finally, on a on the note that will make my, my CFO delighted because he loves talking about how much that cost. Uh, now we we basically went to an event. Um, it's basically there was no specific conference. It's you know just an all week event where there are different parts in San Jose in the US different parts of town, people going to concerts and conferences and this and that everywhere. So we basically had an ice cream truck going around, giving ice cream to people. And that really, really worked well. Like every single sales discussion we had during the week mentioned, oh, this was so cool. Can I get an ice cream? Where, why did you come up with me? Can I be one of the flavors next time and so on? So that's something that really communicated our brand in a way, but would have been so much harder to do any, anywhere else, any other way. Um, we basically were able, because it was mobile and everyone was moving around, we could just park it in front of like a queue to a concert. And every single potential customer would be waiting there for half an hour with an ice cream truck nearby with our logo and who we were. And just like trapped, getting an ice cream, talking to our sales team, just worked really well. Wow, that's amazing. So I think we've just uncovered the greatest growth hack in software and SaaS, and that is free ice cream. Yeah, uh, we, we, we own that idea. No one else can do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's uh, all those have tried it, but you need to try it at the right time. It was quite warm when we did it. If you do it in, you know, in January, it's quite hard. Uh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't try that here in Finland in the middle of winter. So. <laughs> no, I was just going to say churros and chocolate. It's a Spanish, Spanish treat, but it works very well when it's cold. Okay. <laughs> Cool. So awesome. Now we could then move to the closing questions and our fast five challenge. So Octave, I will ask you five questions and you just need to answer as quickly and rapidly as possible. So you ready? Cool. All right. First question. What is the one book you would recommend others to read? Um, I'll start with why. Uh, it's basically a book about why you should always, you know, people don't buy what you do, but they buy why you do it. So it's like all about telling stories, which is, I think, the key thing for marketing. Great. Second question, a SaaS company that you love and why? Um, I'd say MailChimp. Uh, one, I've used their product. It's great. Two, the way they combine their brand, their personality in the product, in the marketing, in everything we do is just like amazing. It's really hard to put off. I love to be able to do it as well as we do. It's really good. Yeah, definitely. And uh, third question, favorite place to read about uh, marketing online? Yeah, I, th- I don't have a specific place. Uh, what I do is that I just follow people I've followed over the years. I think a lot of them have been on this podcast before with their events and so on. Follow them and then just read whatever they recommend. Twitter, Twitter, um, Twitter threads are really good. Some are really like insightful. You can just have a lot of like distilled insights in there and maybe um, articles coming from there. Yeah, absolutely. And fourth question, most important growth metric? Depends a bit on where you are in the journey, but I would say new MRR. Uh, it's the most correlated to our efforts. Potentially net new MRR, you take into account like you know, upsells and churn, especially if you're early on. Important to keep an eye on it, but I think like new, new revenue is the most important. Great. And finally, what would be your one piece of advice for fellow marketers? Good luck. Uh, <laughs> no, I think never... never <laughs> Never, never rest on your laurels. Like, never stop. Keep experimenting. I think I found that everything you do that works probably is not either going to scale or everyone else is going to copy you. So in six months, it's become too, too competitive, too expensive, and so on. It's no longer something you can rely on. So you always need to keep going and trying stuff. Perfect. Well, Octave, I have to thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us a peek inside Paddle, the fastest growing software company in the UK. There was tons and tons of great advice. So thank you so much. It was a real pleasure having you on the show. Thanks. 
that was Octave Auger giving us a peek inside the UK's fastest growing software company. Now you can find Octave on Twitter at TW Octave. And if you're enjoying the show, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any thoughts or feedback, then you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different